Hi, I'm John O'Scott. He's Ben Strivens. Hi. And we, we watch, watch anything. anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know what to add to your queue, or flush down the loo. So, Jono, we're back once again. No, um, <laughs> I was about to go to like some horrible nineties music reference. <laughs> you poor bag. Um, yes, we're back, and um, uh, yes. Uh, well, first, before we even talk about what we're doing this week, I just want to say, dude, I went onto YouTube and watched the trailer from Life with for Life Without Dick, which was your <laughs> film from episode two. I'm so sorry I made you watch that. It looks awful. I mean, even on the scales of awful, it looks much worse than anything I've had to watch. So it, far, it, so. it was a torture. It was something I was absolutely put through, as opposed to uh, something I watched. It's something I endured. But um, thanks, I tried to scrub that out of my brain. You've brought the horror of it flooding back. Yeah, and um, so that was that was last time I was in charge of choosing the films, and this time I was in charge again. Yes. And uh, we settled on thrillers, specifically spy thrillers. Well, you know, and... you said it was going to be a challenge for you. You didn't, yeah, you didn't and... think it was going to be a bit difficult getting narrowing the, uh, the funnel down to that. Yeah, and it was interesting because the moment we had set on spy thrillers... I, you know, I did find it quite hard. Basically, they were they were just the ones I was finding were just too well known because there was like um, the spy who came came in from the cold is yep. on there is on Netflix and it's obviously awesome, but you know it's too well known. We've all seen it. Then there's things like more re- recent things like Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Yes, and sorry. so I've ended up with three films that involve spies and spying, <laughs> but they're also three films that you wouldn't, I think, necessarily find next to Bond in the video store if I can put it that way. You know, they're not they're not sort of like sub. Bond type spy films. Um, that's all I'll say. I'd yes say. and no. But I mean, I don't, what do I know? Because I haven't seen yours. I don't no, know what yours is but, like. But also, so. I don't, I'm not sure. It's Bond is a Bond is a hard one with spy. I mean, obviously, Bond is the super spy, mm. but um, but he's almost his own genre. Because you know, when I think yeah, spy true. thriller, I also think things like Tinker Taylor, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, and like you said, Spy yeah. came from the cold. That kind of, I, I, yeah, I, it's very hard not to think Cold War when you think spy yeah. thriller. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whereas Bond is just global war with all Spectre and everybody, <laughs> just masterminds. True, very true. But anyway, I I made the choices. We we can talk about them now. How about we do? Um, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jono, I have no idea which one you picked because um, I just can't remember at all. So, what was it you what was it you chose, and uh, what did you think? Well, I chose Pimpernel Smith. Ah, uh, yes. It's from 1941. I was really excited about this because That's I, cool. I, it, it is a film I remember vaguely the name of, but I'd never seen it. And um, it had that sort of... Do you remember the Saturday matinee that used to be on... showed on BBC Two? They'd just show an old film on Saturdays. Oh, um, it, not specifically, was, no, but I, I mean, then there was always old it, stuff it on was BBC just a, Two. Yeah. yeah, it was just a slot for BBC Two. They just showed lovely old films. And it just, I thought, oh, this is going to be nice. You know, watch a nice old film. Anyway, it stars Leslie Howard as, uh, as mm-hmm. the Pimpernel. And um, and and he produced and directed this as well. This and is basically he's worse. he's <laughs> no he basically he was in a film version of the Scarlet Pimpernel in 1934. So he's kind of reprising his role, but it's set in wartime. Okay. okay so Pimpernel Smith, he's he's a wartime Scarlet Pimpernel. But I'll get okay, to the plot. Like, yeah. Okay. Fine. Because yeah, it sounds like the juxtaposition of like Pimpernel with the uh, with the very sort of Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So he's basically an agent. But I'll get to the plot in a sec. But so Leslie Howard, um, he's probably most famous for being in Gone with the Wind. Although I don't really know Gone with the Wind because I've only no, sat through I. it once. Couldn't um, face and, it. Not a big and I only really know him for Pygmalion. Have you ever seen Pygmalion? Yeah, with what the oh no, I'm th- I, no. So not my fair lady. Pygmalion was like it was made in I think either thirties, a few years before this. Yeah. But anyway, he plays the Henry Higgins character in that. But it's, you know, it's obviously not got any of the singing, um, and. Um, Anyway, so so basically, he plays this um, this Cambridge archaeologist called Horatio Smith. Excellent. And he's um, <laughs> and he's a sort of bumbling academic Walter Mitty type character. Okay. But obviously, it's the Pimpernel. So the plot of the Pimpernel is that you know he's only pretending to be quite so sure. bumbling and um, and so forth, and he's actually underneath quite a clever, shrewd dude. 
And um, so the basic plot is he takes a group of his students to pre-war Nazi Germany. So this is set just before war. So I think oh, okay, fine. Only, I thought this might be a time-travelling movie. But no, <laughs> and, um, and and basically he's he's but going this, out. Sorry, just you said this is forty-one. Yeah, so, so, so this, is a, this is made during Second World War. Yeah, so this film is made in forty-one, but it's set just before the outbreak. Oh, interesting. Of war. Yeah, 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 and. Um, so he sent. He's go. He's he's in Germany supposedly to do some excavations, and the Nazis are okay with him doing it because obviously it's not wartime yet in yeah. the film, and he's supposed to be looking for evidence of a, um, you know, origins of a superior Aryan, okay, civilization kind of thing. So this isn't like a Lenny Riefenstahl sort of no, like no, propaganda no, no. movie. No, but, but well, I'll get to the sort of propaganda sort of. Okay. Um, I mean, it's definitely it's propaganda. Well, yeah, I think um, anything made in the in the interwar years yeah. is going to have to be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's definitely put me in mind of in which we serve. You know, the Noel Coward one mm-hmm. from about the same era. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that, that. Yeah, that lays it on pretty pretty bloody thick. But anyway, you know, it's it's obvious that he's Pimpernel. But you know, it, at the same time, you start to realise that he's got this secret agenda, which is to free enemies of the German state because the Germans are sort of you know taking you know, thinkers and scientists and sort of locking them up. Right. And um, and he's sneaking them out. Okay. And um, you never really, not towards, till really right towards the end, you never really see his rescues, but it's quite cool in a way. You know, it's a bit like not showing a battle, you yeah. know, but just showing the <laughs> aftermath. Yeah, yeah. You just hear about him, his exploits. But a bit like Black Adam the Third, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so like, at one point, um, there was some captured... Um, guys being held in like a field or something and being made to work by this nasty German and this nasty German because he's trying to scare them shoots a scarecrow just to sort of you know threaten them <laughs> and then suddenly the camera goes in and you see some blood coming out of the scarecrow's arm bom, bom, bom. <gasps> and you realize oh no it's actually the pimpernel and then but no more of that scene cuts straight to a train where you see our man you know the the archaeologist pimpernel mm. guy just there with his students Does he have a and they're reading a newspaper report of this escape that's just been done and, and about how it's dressed someone was dressed as a scarecrow and they got away and then the students notice that our man is injured they put two and two together as and you from would. then on yeah, exactly <laughs> so from then on the students who hadn't been in on the fact that he's this pimpernel character yeah. are in on the subterfuge and they volunteer to assist him is and he the other main proto indiana jones character yeah, sort of, but he's just—he, I mean, he just pads around the scenes, being suave and quite sort of cool. slow. There's very, there's very little running in this, you know. It's, <laughs> he's very suave. Are there any and girls with "I love you" printed on their, <laughs> no. on their eyes? Oh, I love, I used to love eyelids. Yeah, I—that was one of my favourite bits of the film. <laughs> I used to fantasise about someone fancying to such a degree that I wish they a girl would their draw, draw on her eyes with Byro. <laughs> then I'd know she truly loved me. Um. But uh, okay, so a lot of so his performance is, is great, but the bad guy is this sort of um, fat-headed German Gestapo general mm-hmm. called um, General von Graum or something, and he's played by an actor I sort of recognise, but then when I looked at his filmography, I didn't recognise any titles. But he's called Francis Sullivan, and he's great. But he he he's basically deter- He knows that there's this Pimpernel character going around. Yeah, you know under their noses sneaking out all these thinkers and scientists from from their evil clutches so he's determined to track him down and eliminate him and stuff and um so the main thrust of the plot is that he forces this um the love interest character played by mary morris who i didn't recognize but she's perfectly good as well but um he's got her father so he forces her to help him find the pimpernel Mm -hmm. and okay and long long story short smith pimpernel at smith and his students they masquerade as America as journalists. They visit the camp. They manage to break out her father. Yeah, and then you know various things happen. There is shenanigans. It, it, there is there are shenanigans. Excellent. And um, uh, yeah, I don't want to give away too much actually because I mean it's ridiculous not wanting to give away spoilers of something that came out in 1941. <laughs> but equally, you know, I, I'm I suppose I'm talking to an imagined person who probably hasn't seen this film yet. Well, so yeah, I don't, absolutely. I, I mean, if, I, you if, know, you, if anyone listening is going to want to watch it, you don't want to splash yeah. the ending. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, I mean, I, I'm going to tell you right now, this is 100% recommended. Oh, I'm excited! It, it's it's really good. Now there are things wrong with it, and so I I wouldn't be surprised if you started watching it and just thought, I don't want to watch this because yeah. it's stagey. There's plenty of basil exposition. It's of its time. It's clunky. It's creaky. 
and it might switch you off. It's two hours long. Oh my god, this, this is actually something I've, the more I watch, sort of, you know, I, I, it's one of those things you go, oh, I've watched a whole bunch of, of old classic movies, I'm a pretty sort of semi-literate guy, and then you just start going, well, actually, no, there's, there's a whole bunch I haven't delved into, and then you realise yeah. even the ones you have watched. It, it's a misconception that films these days have been getting longer and longer, especially in the 90s when it's sort of, now and now these days we're hitting the two and a half hour mark. But in the 90s, you're like, wow, that, you know, that two hour mark and God, yeah. back in the day, it was all a tight 90. And it's totally. like, no, no, it wasn't. Back yeah. in the day, actually, there were loads of two, two and a half hours. There's lots and lots of long, long films. It really surprised me that it, it, it was as, as long as that. And I'll be honest, I do think it slightly outstays its welcome. Mm-hmm. But... um. I can kind of see why it's so long. So, like, just right, 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 right. I'm just going to quickly describe the very first scene. Yeah, more or less. I think it's the first scene. It's before you've even met Pimpernel Smith. You see these two German academics, or not necessarily necessarily German, but they're two academic scientists. Yeah. They're discussing the problems, and they're discussing that they're worried about being taken and blah de blah. And then suddenly, there's a knock at the door. A butler guy says, "Oh, there's someone at the door." He goes out through the door of the living room that they're in. And the two men sort of stare at the door out of which the butler's just gone to go yeah. and answer the front door. And they just stare at it. And they stare at it some more. <laughs> and they stare at it some more. And the, the door is right in shot, you know, centre shot with the two men looking from sight. You know. So are you feeling an increase in tension here? Or just yeah, sort of- yeah. So at this point, I was thinking, wow, this is a cool dramatic device. The camera's going to pull back and suddenly the Pimpernel is going to be there, you know, like on a, yeah. on a, in a smoking jacket or just yes. as a chicken or something, smoking a cigar. <laughs> but then... It doesn't happen. The door just opens. The butler comes in and said, there's someone at the door. I've got here's a note from him. It was just like, you know, that's an example of how um, cl- clunky they'd, a few scenes they'd can be. The real time didn't have to happen. <laughs> yeah. But um, so, but there is so much to enjoy. Mm. First, I'll just go on about Howard again, because his performance as the Pimpernel is great. The pretending to be stupid and scatty is also really I'm, fun. I'm sort of, I'm sort of picturing a kind of uh, a Nick Charles and Thin Man kind of vibe, just a sort of yes. slightly frivolous dude. Who's yes, very smooth. Yeah, that that kind of thing with more of a sort of academic slant, but like mm. the and and definitely a bit Walter Mittery. Um, but like, you know, quite early on, there's a bit where someone sort of says, "Oh, you're late," and he goes, "Oh, don't be ridiculous. My lecture isn't till Friday, but today is Friday, sir." Oh, good heavens. What happened to Thursday? We had it yesterday, sir. Oh, did we? <laughs> <laughs> and um, the accents throughout are great. That's, mm. that's another funny thing, because it's obviously all the Germans in it. There are a lot of German characters, but they're all played by British actors. Yeah. And some do like cod German accents. Some don't bother at all. And that's really funny. Um, there's a young David Tomlinson, you know, the father oh. of Mary Poppins. Yeah, he's yeah, one yeah. of the students. And he's sort of there as a regular character, but doesn't really have much to get your teeth into. He's definitely slightly just window dressing. And then this week's Steve Gutenberg Prize for Accents um, <laughs> goes to uh, see episode two, The Boyfriend School, Kiwi Accent, um, goes to Hugh McDermott, who I'd not come across before. No, but has quite a generic name. Yeah, he's a um, he was a British professional golfer who turned actor. Always anyway, the this, case, always happens. I, I get the impression he's Scottish, but in this he's doing American and, oh. and I'm just going to sum up my review of his American accent with this. Do you remember all that brouhaha about Russell Crowe in, in um, Robin Hood? Yes, 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 yes. The interview you walked out of going, oh, you've got a you cloth ear, mate, or whatever. That, that's the one. Leave Russell Crowe alone. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's, um, yeah, it's it's really bad but and, and quite annoying. But anyway. Um, awesome. Well, it sounds like it's worth watching for that as well. But it sounds like it's worth watching for the whole thing. Yeah. No, the, the, there are so many highlights. So Fra- Francis Sullivan, um, who plays the, the, the fat-headed German, mm. I mean, like I say, it, it is played for comic effect, but he's also, he's a nasty character. You know, he's the bad guy in this. Yeah. And there's a really So he feels like bit. a genuine threat then. Yeah, a little bit, definitely. But he's also, he's definitely a, a bit of an idiot and he's quite overweight and stuff. But there's the, the, when you first meet the fat-headed German, he's um, an underling kind of comes to see him and he's got a P.G. Woodhouse book and he's sort of saying, oh, I'm getting to know my enemy. And so he just reads out a bit of P.G. Woodhouse and sort of in a really deadpan way and then goes, is that funny? And his underling goes, no, that's not funny. And then, he, and then he reads out a punch joke. And then he reads out a, like an Edward Lear limerick. And then he reads out a bit of Jabberwocky from Lewis Carroll, you know, from yeah. Alice. Why, is he, why is he just it? trying to learn British comedy instead of anything <laughs> yeah. else? Well, he, and then at the end he goes, I've come to the conclusion that the English sense of humour is a myth. They have no sense of humour. But it's just, it's a really amusing little scene. Yeah. And, I, and when I was watching it, it did feel like 
it just really captured something. I felt like it was the you could almost trace a line from that sort of scene to some of the stuff the goons did to what yeah. Python did with that weaponized joke sketch in it now for something completely different. Yeah. To Faulty Towers, to the silly Germans in adverts in the eighties, you know, like Cafe Hog and stuff. And of course Allo Allo. Yeah, well it, of course how could I leave that? How one can you miss the Nadir of um British wartime comedy? <laughs> Another point of interest which I'm really quite pleased that I sort of that it had an impact on me yeah. is that like I'm going to make this. There's a, it's an incidental scene where Pimpernel character visits a perfumery or a, a, a cosmetics shop just because he wants to buy some new face powder or something for the main woman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, not for himself. Two hours be... long. Like I say, it's two hours long. <laughs> if there's a scene where Pimpernel goes shopping for face powder, like, I, I could just about see it if it was doing it for his own disguise. Then it has a certain relevance. With like, aha, this is my Pimpernel makeup bag. But if it's like I'm buying the uh, buying the lady a present. Let's get that down. Pop into the loo. But that's basically, it's done. It's quite a sweet scene. It's slightly played for love because he's being bumbling mode. Yeah. But the woman that serves him, I I just thought this is quite a flirtatious scene. There was a real sort of spark between them. Then I looked her up and it's, it's, they were, they they were were um, together. They they weren't as a husband and wife, but she was his mistress for like three or four years. Oh my but god! It, but it's really sad because she died the next year, nineteen forty-two, of pneumonia or something. But you can feel, I swear, and I I didn't know that before I watched the yeah. scene. I just thought, wow, that scene's amazing, and then looked her up and you can yeah, feel the chemistry. Yeah, yeah, feel the chemistry. Thank you. Um, anyways, wow. and I'm and, and in summary, the last I think great reason why you must watch this is just simply the sort of where it is in history because obviously it's a it's a great example of mid-war you know while war is still going on propaganda yeah like like in which we serve which is you know a good example yeah or um a canterbury tales a really good one but anyway um it's also and i really didn't know this so this is all from researching the film after watching it but mm-hmm. it, but howard died within two years of this he died in 1943 in a british airline in a plane uh, you know a, a the passenger plane passenger, passenger plane yeah. that was shot down by the Germans oh, God. over the Bay of Biscay and there's all this interesting stuff online like I, I, I'm getting this stuff from Wikipedia I'm not going to pretend I know what the <laughs> truth is but the point is that there seems to be a certain amount of tragedy surrounding this thing if she if yeah. the mistress died and he gets shot down in the plane as well that's... but also this is the thing there's some argument that the Nazis, that, that, that people don't agree on whether his plane was actually targeted or not. Oh, because he because was the it. German, yeah, because the Germans did were, follow, you know, keeping an eye on him for spy stuff, but also they were worried about, you know, he was a propaganda, he was a bigwig a tool in terms of, of the propaganda yeah, machine, exactly. And so there's this sudden when I realised this afterwards, it was like there's a sudden power to the idea that he dies, he died because in real of, life at the hands of the people he's lampooning in this yeah. film, and then. And okay, wow. that that's just one little bit. Also, if that's not all, perhaps even more amazing than that is that, like, right, this film was first shown in Sweden in 1943, and a bro- bloke called Raoul Wallenberg watched mm-hmm. it, was inspired, and apparently, again, from the little bit of research I've done, but from a couple of sources, it's generally yeah. accepted that it inspired him to such a degree that he, he was working in Budapest. No, he he rescued thousands of Jews. Wow partly inspired by this bloody film so if that's not a couple of good reasons there to watch a film what the f- is well uh, that is that is gobsmacking i mean the biggest reason that i would have said to watch this film is the fact it's called pimpernel smith which is just a, quite <laughs> frankly a fantastic title but then if you're going to heap on some brilliant history as well that's great and the fact it sounds like a bit of a cracking movie like i love the idea of a suave loose dude mincing around and then uh I mean, I've always quite, you know, the, the whole the whole Pimpernel story has always always been great. That kind of like, oh, foppish yeah. dude suddenly turns into ha ha ha, I am the Pimpernel. Yeah, exactly. Um, although obviously less French accenting. Um, yeah. But uh, but then yeah, if there's all this sort of um, history around it and and that kind of I don't know importance surrounding what it's done, that's that makes it double fascinating. You keep and getting these movies where they have a thing. Like you like <laughs> last week you had um oh this is oh sorry not last week it was two two uh, two two episodes ago you had the um lost um what's his face movie. <laughs> David O. Russell. David O. Russell. So like yeah you had that lost David O. Russell movie and now you've got this sort of so yeah. was this Howard's last movie before he was blown up in a plane or did because I, no, I guess I they churned them out at some sort of fair Yeah I don't think it was them. quite his last film, no. But I mean this is the thing, though. Like, you know, we're trying to we find films that are sort of like 
well, we, I suppose we're just trying to find interesting stuff that people wouldn't necessarily watch. But you know, this gets seven, you know, seven out of ten on IMDb. You know, yeah. this is a a film that's sort of known and loved. And the thing is, all I would say to people, well, maybe I'd say known, it, loved, and forgotten though, because I, it's not something I've ever heard of. And yeah, you know, I'm I sure, think, I'm sure I, many have, but I'm sure many more haven't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all and all I would say is that. I think some people will be put off by the staginess and the clunkiness. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's just with old films, you know, obviously they're all dated. They're all of their time. And sometimes it gets to you and sometimes you go with it and sometimes it's awesome. And in this one, there were definitely scenes that I was, th- I, it was like, okay, this is now, it's beginning to drag. Yeah. But then every time there would always be some other scene which would drag me back into it. And there's this wonderful speech towards the end, you know, about sort of why essentially the Nazi ideology is doomed to failure. Mm. And, Again, thinking about that scene and thinking about what happened to him, it's yeah, it's powerful stuff. Oh, and my favourite bad line in it because it does have some bad lines. <laughs> this is a really good bit where he, he says to the woman, "Tell me, is there any way out of here except the front door?" And she just goes, "Yes, the back door." Just great. <laughs> oh, the back door, you say? Brilliant. But yeah, it's a hundred percent recommend. Great. Well, go and check it out. Do and so should others. <laughs> Right. Well, um, so we're going to move on to my one. So I was quite jealous of your one. Well, I was, given the name Pimpernel Smith, I was, I was quite jealous of yours as well. Like, <laughs> wallowing in a bit of sort of awesome 40s-ness was quite, was quite tempting. Um, so my one is, fast forward 30-odd years, The Killer Elite. 1975 and directed by <gasps> Sam Peckinpah. <gasps> so... I don't pretend to be an expert on 70s cinema. I've seen all the standout ones, I would say. Well, not all, you know, but I've seen, I've seen most of the standout bits. Although not a massive sort of um, peck and power completist, I have never seen The Wild Bunch, which is weird. Have um, you? No, it's just one of those things that's just, just flipped for the radar. But I have seen Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid and a couple of others. Um, okay. I love Pat yeah, I've not seen that. That's, I must that admit. Is I'm, not a pack and, a, I'm not a peck and power completist either. Mm. I've seen Straw Dogs and The Wild Bunch, and that's more or less it. But this is not a movie I'd heard of. Um, and doing a very quick flick around, it's not on anyone's best of lists. Really? Um, not that I'm trying to preempt anything here. But I think there's, no. it's, I think it's one of those, it's a lesser peck of merits. It's towards the end of um, of his sort of output, I guess, right. which is when people said he started to decline. So it's, it's, not, it's not one of the ones that's really um, particularly well known. Although a couple of directors have cited it up there as, as one of their favourite films. Um, essentially, oh, right. it's... Um, I mean, if you look at the, the you look at the uh, the pedigree, it's phenomenal. You've got Sam Peck in power, and then you've got James Kahn and Robert Duvall. I mean, what more could you possibly want? Like, Kahn yes. and Duvall working together is just always a wonderful thing. Although, I did have to remind myself at one point, because I was, you know, you're watching the movie, you're thinking about it, you know, the, especially if you know the actors, you're thinking about, you just wander off a tiny bit. And I was like, yeah, God, it was such a shame that James Kahn got killed. And then <laughs> <laughs> I realised that I'd just seen The Godfather so many times that I just automatically think of him as dying in a toll booth. And I'm like, oh, God, no, he made Misery. Yeah, he's actually, he's still making movies. I can put it on. I mean, he hasn't been around for a while since Misery. I mean, since Misery, he hasn't done, you know, a lot. No, I can't think of something I've seen him in recently. No, and I, then, then I thought, God, he's actually somebody who's due a bit of a renaissance. Even though he has a potential to be a tad one-dimensional, I'd still love him. Um, but yeah, I think it was just the Tim and Duval thing together that made me go, oh, what a shame he died in that, in that, oh yeah, fatal shooting in a total booth, yeah. Anyway, see, whereas you had, I guess, a classic sort of spy movie from the 40s, so it's very much steeped in the Second World War, it's a, mm. I guess, the, it, it's a, you know, it's a war spy thriller, it's a different sort of thing. Um, for me, I'm in the 70s, and it is very, uh, it feels very much from that era. That, you know, that It almost feels like there are a lot of those, you know, John le Carre BBC dramas from the 70s and it has that same vibe. And it, it just it just feels, for the second the credits come up and it starts, you feel like, yes, I know exactly what I'm getting. I know exactly You're where I am. You're in spy film land. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, good. You've got um, the credits, the, you've got captions coming up and they're all done in fake type, typewriter script. Okay. Which was like, yeah, I understand this. I'm comfy. I'm here. For some reason, there's sort of the sound of children in a playground in the background, black screen children playing, and this sort of fake typewriter script of captions coming up. Um, mm. 
and it just feels like you know it feels almost feels kind of lacarish it has that sort of like slightly ominous build up um and it's sort of it's talking about spy stuff it's almost like a Q&A with someone who's been you know involved in in the CIA or whatever um right. and uh it's so, you know people denying their involvement in certain things um it has that you know slightly watergatey feel as well and cool. then it has this sort of comes up with this one caption this film is a work of fiction there is no company called Communication Integrity nor Comteg, and the thought that the CIA might employ such an organization for any purpose is, of course, preposterous. <laughs> so it's setting at its stall quite early that, that you know, the CIA uses outside agencies to do its dodgy stuff. Yeah. So that's great. So you get that yeah. comes up, and then you get boom, you've got James Kahn, boom, you've got Duval. The music kicks in. The music is so like The Shining. Oh really? It's like that sort of like kind of like yeah. Oh really? I was expecting. I thought you. I thought you were just about to say the music is so like bullet or something. No, no, it's, know, it's like a real shining vibe to it for some reason. Um, oh, and, right. and it's always got so this. Um, you've still got the sound of this school sort of playground thing happening, Ooh. and then it's got that sort of. It happens much more these days than ever in an action movie. It happens that sort of like fetishized men doing things close up <laughs> that are nefarious kind of thing so these days you sort of get like boom loading the gun ting 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 and it's all very kind of yeah. like oiling the slide all that kind of yeah. stuff here they're they're laying can you not say oiling the slide in that <laughs> way again please oiling the slide they're oh, um no. they're yeah, laying what some of the, what they're actually doing is laying a plastic um charge so it's like it's a very close up of the drill going into the wall it's all lit very much like a spotlight kind of thing so this is all over the credits coming up and so then once they've started once they finished laying the plastic explosive it's still happening the credits and there's image of a sort of a you've got the sound of the, the schoolyard an image of a baby bird and its mother in the nest and you think this is laying on a bit thick isn't it they're gonna blow up a school and they're gonna blow up a school yeah i mean look there's baby birds sound of the children they're definitely gonna blow up a school cut to inside of a car and duval calm and a and other Eastern Bloc style person. We're going to assume they're Russian because this is the seventies. Yeah, drive away from a building and the building explodes. But it it it's a warehouse. Huh. And I don't. It's never really explained why it blows up, hmm. or why there was the sound of children. Because it definitely, if it was a school, it's the world's bleakest school. It's a school <laughs> on an industrial estate with no playing fields. So. <laughs> I'm pretty much assuming it's a warehouse. Unless it was a warehouse full of children playing, which is just quite sinister <laughs> in itself. Um, but they block this wow. warehouse and then drive away. What happened to the birds? Well, they were sort of, well, they were just sort of, they were like a bit of imagery. Maybe it was just the birds making the noise like children. But they were killed in the warehouse explosion, I guess. Well, one thing, I mean, just briefly, right at the beginning, one of the first bits of The Wild Bunch is that you see some children playing around, sort of talk, letting a scorpion die by, by burning it or something. And they're all sort of laughing and playing, yeah. sort of thing. Maybe was... So maybe he's just into having playing children near the start of his films. Creepy. Um, yeah. Mm. So they're in the car, and you've got James Carl and Robert Duvall in the car, and they're from Eastern European bloc. And just to sort of hammer home the message of who they are, and it is quite basal exposition here, he kind of goes, um, So are you the CIA? And they kind of go, Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and they do lots of laughing and not answering. But it basically. <laughs> It basically transpires that they're not the CIA. They are an outside agency. So once they've... This guy is someone that they're they're, um, they're transporting for the CIA in a kind of defector sort of way. And, right. Um, but once they've dropped him off, they're kind of like, let's go and party! Because they're obviously they're, they're outside contractors. So they go and have some big... They go to some apartment which is just full of girls and they smoke some weed and drink some booze and James can't get smashed up and uh, Robert Duvall is very sensible. Um, so are they partners? So they're partners. Yeah, you get this right, idea yeah, that yeah. like they're partners. Duval's like Khan is a slightly crazier one. Duval is a slightly sensible dude. So it's like um, a seventies slightly depressing lethal weapon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, in in some ways, although I'm going to get into this. I mean, I, okay. I don't, I'm not going to give you the whole film, but um, I think you need to get this first chunk out of the way to set the scene. And this scene, reading any praise of the movie. You'll see where where we get to. Um, 
uh, you know, the back of the video box will tell you what, what, I'm, what I'm telling you now. One thing that okay. did occur to me, though, watching this, is that I wonder if people in the 70s saw colour in a different way. Like, I know film stock <laughs> was different and stuff, but we watch films now and you go, that looks like a thing. Whereas, you know, there's just such a look to 70s movies and they all have that washed out kind of, like, look. And I'm like, did my mum see brown a different way? And she was like, <laughs> I know we were born in the 70s, but maybe... You know, you get used to things as your as your as, your, as things adjust. I'm like, what's colour different? Does it all look the same? And it had, and it does have very much that French connection bullet, that yeah. that aesthetic kind of thing. The whole thing, um, and it is also set in San Francisco, like so many things in the 70s were for some reason. But they, so they, anyway, um, James Hunt eventually um, takes some girl off to bed, and okay. Duval kicks him awake a couple of hours later and says, "Right, it's us. We're up." And uh, they jump in the car and they're driving off to you don't know where. And Robert Duvall, <laughs> in one of his oddest ever moves, um, he pulls out a piece of paper and says he's gone through the girl's handbag, who James Kahn um, went to have adult cuddles with. And he found a letter from the uh, from her gynecologist saying that she had um, some sort of uh, sexually transmitted infection kind of thing. Nice. Um, and James Kahn gets all like, oh, what do you need to tell me? What do you tell me? And then Robert Duvall just laughs really creepily for five minutes. He just keeps sort of going, <laughs> and it's kind of like a weird cackling thing. And oh, it's quite God. creepy. And it would have really done my head in if I was in the car with them. Um, <laughs> but eventually they get back, they get to this, um, they get to where they're going, which is the safe house containing. <laughs> so, so laughing at your laugh. As well, just when you were doing that laugh. You look like Skeletor. He looks like Skeletor. That's a brilliant way. I may have just done the best bit of physical impersonation ever. He looks like Skeletor. It's so worth... Say, um, right now, this movie is definitely worth watching. But okay. even if it wasn't, it'd be worth watching that scene. Okay. Just for how long Robert Duvall can, can, stay, can sustain a laugh. And how much he looks like Skeletor while he's doing it. It's really disturbing. Um, so they get to the safe house, which is where they're going. Um and there's some sort of, you know, complicated, we're spies entrance procedure kind of thing. Um, there's a couple of dudes in the safe house already watching video cameras and then they turn up. Uh, they're late. Oh, guys. Yaka yaka. Anyway, the um, the guys got in the safe house, then go and say, right, we'll see you tomorrow. Um, and then Robert Duvall confesses that actually the VD thing was a joke and he just carries loads of those around with him as a joke. Right. At which point you go, that uh, great. Um, James yeah. Kahn... Goes off for a shower because he hasn't had one because Robert Duvall just had to kick him out of bed, basically. Um, and he's having a nice-looking shower in a fairly rubbish-looking shower block. And it comes back to Robert Duvall, who's talking to the Russian, and then just shoots him in the head. Huh? In quite a surprising move. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then James Conn gets out of the shower. And Duvall shoots him in the knee and the arm. And basically says, you're retired. Boom. Lots of operating room-style shenanigans. Doctors say... Your kneecap shattered, your arms buggered, you're never going to walk. You'll never walk again. Yeah. We um, have the technology. No, well, they don't say we have the technology. <laughs> we don't have the technology. We completely do not have the technology. We are technology less. <laughs> to the point where once they've kind of, they, they cover in plaster um, and then they take the, this is when it starts to drag because right. he's in hospital and they cover, they, they cover in plaster and then they take the plaster off. And then they put some other bits on, and you're like, okay, I get, I get the idea. Um, <laughs> and, at, and at some point, um, his bosses wander in and sort of go, yeah, yeah, you're probably not going to be a super spy anymore, but we might find you a nice job somewhere. And he's like, oh no. And they sort of offer him some kind of, you know, deal. They say, which it's better than if you're working for the CIA, you'd just be getting a crappy pension. Um, and then he just does his lots of anguished face. Um, and then another chap walks in, and it took me a little while to work it out. And oh crikey, what's his name? Bert Young. Do you know Bert Young? The name's familiar, but Bert Young has got one I... of those. He's he's uh, Paulie in Rocky. Which, oh him. Yes, yes, he's got like sort okay. of like round squashed face. And this yeah, is why it took me a while to place face. him because he was also in one of the Godfathers, wasn't no, he? No, I thought he was. Role? I absolutely thought he was, and I checked his IMDb, and he's not in there. I was convinced he was in Godfather too. Oh, I know because there's quite there's. He looks can, a bit I, like I, I can think of the actor that I think he's. In yeah. looking like, but yeah, but he's not. But he's in so many things. He's in he's in Chinatown. He's in like a million. He's he's one of those yeah. ubiquitous like seventies character actors. And he's great in Rocky. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to this movie, 
Yes. Um, so it's it's yeah, that's but that's my biggest that's the biggest touchstone I could find for him is Paulie from from Rocky. Anyway, yeah. he turns up and gives him some flowers and goes away again. And you think, oh God, I hope we see more of you because you're a really cool actor. Um, and then rehab just goes on and on and on really? and he's just lots of struggling but it does do it, it moves from that sort of like super fast thing into like into that again 70s ponderous where it's sort yeah. of like there's a bit of kind of sax music and he's trying and he falls over and he tries again and he falls over and he tries again and then shockingly he falls over um and then <laughs> in a very um american wealth in london way he hooks up with his nurse Right. Um, and he gets discharged finally, and then he goes to live with with the nurse who he oh. who, who was in charge of his care. And uh, then there's more rehab as he lives with her, and more falling over. Um, and he finally gets to uh, he sort of limps along to this sort of weird big outdoor karate display, and he realises that this is his these are his people, essentially. Um, and that's and this is something I didn't realise until actually I did when I did my reading about James Khan to find out whether he died in a toll booth or not. Um, <laughs> one thing I didn't know about him was that he is actually a massively trained martial arts instructor. Oh, really? Like he trained the Culver City Police Department in martial arts, which would be that's the coolest, the coolest thing fact in the world. I've ever heard. That is awesome. How was your day, honey? Oh, I got to work. We had some training. Really? Who was doing that? James Khan. <laughs> How insane would that be? Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it's so cool. So I think, I think, and as this film progresses, you'll see. I think that what they partly, what they partly did was like just hang a lot of this movie. I can't imagine this movie being made without James Khan because martial arts yeah. plays a certain, you know, part in this. So as part of his rehab, he starts doing a whole bunch of martial arts, and uh, and he still starts to incorporate his walking stick in the martial arts, a bit Blind Fury esque, I guess. Um, we sort of cut to a um, an office where his boss oh his boss tries to have a chat with him and say look you know we'll get you back don't worry but we'll stick you behind a nice desk and all James Carl wants to do is get revenge on Robert Duvall basically of course he does um, go, you, you go back to his contact the place that he worked and they're talking to this guy from the CIA who's all dressed in a fishing outfit a bit like the colonel in or general in mash and um and they he starts to recount what's what's happened that morning now this is when it starts to slightly lose me a bit it's one of those things where the plot gets so twisty turny this way that way ping pong pow that you just start going i can't re- what why is he but what's who's why are you doing this? It could be quite easy, and and I don't, yeah. and I think it's because it feels like they don't quite know where they're going, and they don't quite know what they're doing. And right. as a director who directs a lot of action, it's a bits of it are a little strange like that. So there's this, we see the CIA guy talking to the company, um, mm. and he's recounting the events of this morning when a um, Japanese delegation of people, of some sort of politician, got off a plane at the airport and was attacked. By a group of ninjas, which <laughs> is awesome. Wow, cool. Yeah. But what's really confusing is everyone's wearing different clothes. Obviously, everyone's wearing different clothes. Everyone does wear different clothes. But the ninjas are all dressed as civilians, and the people that you've never met before are all dressed as civilians that they're attacking. So at some point, there's this huge melee fight with people jumping out of like baggage carousels and stuff like that, like ninjas do. But you don't know who's the goody and who's the baddie, and it just sort of turns into this weird scrum of. Just people kicking each other and then wow. occasional dead bodies going up conveyor belts. It's all just a bit unfocused. It's all a bit like you just did a like, let's do an action thing. Yeah. Um, and then I read that this is the movie where apparently Peck and Power experienced a certain amount of depression and also got quite heavily into cocaine. Oh, really? Um, because apparently hanging out with James Kahn's crew, who were all sort of big time Charlie enthusiasts yeah Mm. Um, and so he would sort of let other people direct sections of it while he just sort of sat in his trailer and you can tell I just don't think he did he must you know as someone who's known as a bit of a master of like the the action movie I I don't think he could have possibly done this bit because it's just really unfocused it doesn't have you know all the bits it's almost like and I uh, uh, this is going to sound terrible because it you know, some of the most great fight scenes are actually, you know, done by the second unit um, stunt coordinator or fight coordinator kind of thing. Mm. Um, 
but this felt like it was done by that person without any real concept of what how that would fit with the rest of the movies they just had this big fight and they just didn't think about well, who was who what was happening and just grounding it in any way of like you caring about it or know what the outcome was yeah um, so anyway the CIA chap tells Comteg that yeah this guy has been set upon by the ninjas um, and then they need to keep him safe um, but what's weird he's called Young Chung which is a really Chinese name but he's a Japanese politician and the entire <laughs> Japanese delegation is Japanese and it's just I just can't find any possible reason for giving him a Chinese name apart from <laughs> it just sounds a bit like oh they're all the same aren't they they're all the names <laughs> yeah well, I think back then you still probably had that quite often that people maybe just sort of did a bit of oh they're all the same you know they wouldn't necessarily Chung, but what <laughs> yeah. anyway know, they actually. do they tell him that they, they, they tell Comtek they've got to keep thing you save and then they drop the final bomb that Robert Duval they've heard is also gunning for the Japanese guy he's been put on <gasps> his train. so it's like okay great they call James Khan up and say right it's your it's your chance to get him then. It's your gig. It's your gig. Um, and he accepts it in a very classically kind of like A-team way slash Mission Impossible. He's kind of like, yes, I, I'll do it, but I want to get my guys. And then he says who he wants, and they kind of go, but he's crazy. Oh, God, that sounds awesome. I love scenes like that. Yeah. Um, so he goes to see his crazy dude, and he is uh, he's essentially... As the movie goes on, you find out he is essentially quite dangerously unhinged. But he's kind of over the looking over the Golden Gate Bridge, just firing clay pigeons into the air and shooting them. Um, and then, brilliantly, he goes to see um, Bert Young, who is his getaway driver, and has this kick-ass converted cab that's just like an armor-plated taxi cab. Paulie from Rocky. Yeah, Paulie from Rocky. So then, mm. sort of, you know, their their comedy capers that aren't very comedy ensue really, and then ends up with this awesome denouement um, in something I've never seen before. It's a location I've never seen. Apparently it exists in San Francisco Bay, or did anyway. It's this absolutely beautiful graveyard of battleships. It's all these mothball battleships against each other. Oh, wow. It's really cool. Great. I don't know why I've never seen it as another location, because it's so cool. And they have a big old ninja fight there, and, um, yeah, stuff happens, basically. Um but there's, yes, yeah, so it's all very double-crossy. It's all very, there is, there is a brilliant bit when they get ambushed, where they're in the sort of um, side street in San Francisco, and they have to drive off in their armor-plated cab, and just conveniently, very in a sort of Wayne's world kind of way, there are loads of boxes full of fruit and vegetable they can drive through. So it's almost <laughs> like exploding boxes, which is brilliant. Um, and there, there are, they just, he can't resist the old cliche like that. Yeah. Um, there is a brilliant, brilliant scene when they have escaped in this um, cab, Bert Young's driving along, sort of like, hmm, something wrong with the car. So he gets out of the car and just sort of, he's there, he goes, yeah, there is, there's a bomb. But he's not freaking out at all. <laughs> he's just slowly diffusing this bomb and this, this motorcycle cop pulls over and starts to try and like, say, get out of the car, get out of front of the car. And he's like, no. He's like, get out of front of the car. And I can't. Not while I've got this bomb here. <laughs> it's like, we talk well, about Sharp and get out from the car. And eventually he does, and he goes, Look, it's a bomb. And he gives it to the cop, and the cop looks at it. But he sort of goes, I think it's got about two minutes on it. So you're probably going to want to run to the bay over there and, and throw it in there. And it's just all done so brilliantly deadpan. It's an, that sounds, it's a, I, I really want to watch this now, awesome maybe on the strength scene. of that. It is an awesome that sounds great. Say, it, it's un, The whole thing essentially is unfocused to a certain degree. It's, it's a bit too crisscrossy. Um, and there's some very pointless things that happen where you kind of go, I don't know why you didn't just do do that. But in general, it's worth watching. It's a, it's, it's a great bit of 70s fun. It's like if you... If you wanted to, yeah, if you've got some time to kill, you fancy that that sort of French connection y vibe, that putting yourself into that world. Although it's nowhere near got the sort of that lovely grittiness that Blatty gets where he just makes everything seem just a bit grimy and awful. But it's yeah. just it just feels it I wouldn't in a million years have pegged it as a Sam Peckinpah movie. I would have just said it's just it, it's a it's a pretty watchable seventies spy thriller with James Kahn, Robert Duvalin, and a star turn by um Bert Young. What are you thinking? Sort of B minus? Yeah, B minus. I like B minus. That's a nice place to yeah. be. Yeah, I, I do like letters as opposed to the star thing. Yeah, me too. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a C Good. plus maybe C plus B minus. Yeah. Wow. Could could so try very much harder. Like my um, 
the long essay I did for my um, English A level. That was a C plus. Very much like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, great, dude. Thank you. That's that. That sounds like a um, recommend. It sounds like an interesting film. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, certainly better than the last film you've had to watch. Yeah. No. Absolutely. The first. The first two movies we've had so far, both solid recommends. I'd say. However, yeah. we haven't talked about the movie we've both watched. Number three. Now, tell us, Jono, what made you choose this? Well, Benjamin, I'm very glad you asked that question. Okay, so while I was looking for spy thrillers, one of my searches on Netflix, I did just put in the word spy to the search function and so found the spy who came in from the cold. And one of them was spy time. I could see this was a spoof or a comedy, Mm -hmm. but I just decided to go with it anyway. And I thought it was just interesting that it was a foreign language film. Yes. So... Shall, shall I talk a little bit about the plot? Shall I give people the setup? Let me give people the setup. I'm going to say the, the only downside I found to it being a foreign language film, and it's it's some people find you could you can call this as a downside or an upside, and I I deplore the kind of idiocracy thing of like can't watch that foreign subtitles, but um, the only downside is that I couldn't do anything else while I was watching this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I was genuinely going to sew in gen- uh, a name tag into um, some leggings for my daughter. I couldn't do that because I had to keep looking at the writing. Yes. <laughs> Very annoying. But I also, at the same time, I love the fact that it forces you to not be on the computer, not looking over there, not yeah. doing this. Like you actually have to concentrate and not be distracted by modern life. Well, which I is sometimes, great. I sometimes think that's why things like you know the killing was so successful because people were saying, "Oh, it's the most dramatic thing I've ever seen." It's because you're forced to really concentrate. <laughs> you're just true. properly watching something. You'd probably love Casualty if you watched it properly, but you're too busy sipping tea and eating cheese on toast. Anyway. It's a comedy, but just I, I think from the poster and for the fact that it's called Spy Time, mm. my actual initial assumption was this is going to be something like um, Meet the Spartans, you know, that kind of Oh, spoof. wow. Sort of, or, or, kind or of Leslie Nielsen's, really... like Spy Hard. That was the Leslie Nielsen one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, or, 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 or scary movie ones, these kind of dreadful sort of like... Why the hell like would you have visited kind... that upon us? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, exactly. But, but in fact, it's not like that. No. I think... Um, it's more akin to I'd be interested to know if you agree but I think it it reminded me of the Spanish language spy equivalent of Shaun of the Dead Hot Fuzz I definitely I had a Shaun of the Dead note actually in my notes about this for um, for, for one bit that's very Shaun of the Dead I mean well I mean he he has this whole conversation with in the car with his girlfriend about how he all he wants to do is sit around and do nothing, and then she wants to go out and do stuff. And I just thought, yeah, this is definitely a Shaun of the Dead thing. Yes, I feel like this director, writer, whatever it is, has been influenced by Shaun of the Dead a bit. Yes, I would say that in no way, shape, or form is this an Edgar Wright quality movie. No, although again, I think in, he stole flourishes from Edgar Wright, but that's definitely. the thing. But I mean, do we do we do we get this out of the way now? what we thought of it or do we do, do you want to do you want to sort of get the plot out of the way and then we can go into what we thought of it let me give a brief plot okay so it's called spy time mm. this the the spanish language title was anacleto secret agent yes okay so it stars this old guy this old secret agent who's um still doing spy stuff but he's been around the block a bit and he's still very good at it but there's not as much money in it so he's kind of working for a um a the equivalent of MI5, whatever, that's that's not got as much cash. It's a bit strapped for cash. Anyway, long story short, he's got an ultimate um, enemy, arch enemy, yes. who wants to kill him. And he knows that this spy, Anacleto, has got a son. Now, the son is, think slightly Shaun of the Dead, should we say, mm. as in a bit of a schlubby dude, got a boring job that's a... a, a he's um, a security, security guard, nighttime security guard, essentially. Nighttime security guard. And he's got a girlfriend who works in a hospital. I can't remember if she's a nurse or a she's doctor. She's a doctor. Is she? Yes. Okay. And, um, and so it's that Shaun of the Dead thing where she's fed up with him. She wants to travel. He, does, he doesn't have a driving license. It's a big sort of running thing. And he it. wants to watch box sets under a blanket on the couch and eat pizza all day, basically. Yeah, exactly. So it is like And that. he smokes and a then, certain um, amount of weed, it transpires. Yes. And then, and then the plot develops that because of Anacleto, the secret agent, feuding with this ultimate bad guy, Vasquez, I think he's called. Um, Vasquez is going to hunt down his son. So 
secret agent reveals to his son that he is a secret agent, which his son doesn't know. There's also at the same time this stuff where the son is suddenly kind of <laughs> seemingly is killed by a Chinaman comes to try and kill him, and he suddenly seems to have in that born type no, way. I'm just going like, to stop you there. Some... I'm not sure. Can we? Can you say Chinaman? I know it says. Well, no, that's in the script. It says in the it in the subtitles, but then it is a bit. Yeah, I know what European. you mean. All right, but I'm, I am directly quoting from okay. the script. But all right, but a guy turns up and um, tries to kill him, and he seems to, in that born type way, suddenly realise he's got certain skills that he didn't know he had. And, and, and I mean that's basically the setup, isn't it? Yeah. From then on, they, 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 it's a caper. After that, where the two of them are trying to—it's an action thriller where they're trying to avoid being killed and trying to and also um, vanquish Vasquez. The, um, and also, it should say that there's there's comedy from the fact that Vasquez is also it seemingly is a bad guy, quite a good bad guy, but he's also down on his luck. All this is in Spanish. Um, and don't forget um, as well. Sorry, just it's not just it doesn't end up with so the, the father son bit is sort of happens, but then they also to make it truly caperish pick up the girlfriend slash ex girlfriend and yes. her brother who is his work colleague who is there purely as a comedy stooge. Yeah. Now I would say from the outset that I've seen quite a few Spanish language horror films mm-hmm. recently because obviously there's been you know it's been quite a good time for Spanish language horror films. Yeah. But I've not seen. I've never seen a Spanish many Spanish language comedy. comedies. No, I mean or I've seen a bit of Pedro Almodovar, which you know has comedic aspects seen. to it, but um, I've never seen an out-and-out Spanish comedy before. Yeah. So, I, for all I know, this may have been influenced by a famous sort of may have a lineage behind it of Spanish comedies. But I feel like, as I said, I feel like this has been influenced by comedies like sort of the the Shaun of the Dead Yeah, I know what you mean. I think I think it's probably a bit of both. There's some humour in there, I think, which definitely um has that sort of European flavour to it of being slightly less sort of uh I don't know. It, there's it, there's times when it's trying slightly less less hard to be clever clever as yeah. we are wont to be. Well, first of all, what did you think of it? I <laughs> it's one of those things that absolutely in spite of myself <laughs> I really quite enjoyed it. Okay, good. Okay, from the way you were talking, I thought you were building up to say I hate. No, it. I, I quite didn't. Liked I got it. to the. It's one of those things you kind of you get you watch it and you sort of go. There's, there's certain bits where I just want to going, oh, this is awful, but but not <laughs> this is awful. This film, but this is awful. This moment, and I stuck it out to the end. Actually, to be honest with you, about twenty minutes in, I thought, oh god, I've got to get to the end of this, even though certain yeah. bits of it made me chuckle. Not oh god, yeah. but I just thought, you know, I'm not sure I'd watch this to the end if I didn't have to. And by the end of it, I was glad I had, um, uh, you know, I laughed, I laughed a good sort of seven or eight, nine times. There's a couple of gags in there I thought were really funny, and yeah. I really warmed to the idiots because they are all played as idiots as well. And I kind of, I really warmed to all the protagonists. I yeah, I, the, main a, guy, the main the main guy's enjoyed. got a very likable face. Yes, I thought. The main, as in not Anacleto, the, his yeah. dad, but the, he's Quim Gutierrez or oh, yeah, something. Sure. Plays the son of Dolfo. He's a bit like he's the great. guy who ended up being the sort of lead in the office, the American Office. I thought. In a yes, way. yes, yes, yes. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, very much so. Was, and I really like. I thought his girlfriend was was really. She good was great. Too. She was fab. She reminded and, me. She looks quite Marion Cotillardy. Um, and I really like the bad guy Vasquez too. Yeah. There's look, there's there's actually <laughs> there's lots of things to like. I think it was because like the movie starts and the old man's driving a car and it breaks down and he gets out in the middle of the desert and he goes. Oh, I'm too old for this, and it's just a bit like. Yeah, I didn't like the start. That was a bit, ugh. Apart from there's a really, there were two really funny gags in the start when he turns up at the um at this he turns up at this prison to all the people he's put away in this sort of oh, remote yeah. jail in the desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for the start, the, the gardener so they do this sort of secret agent exchange, and the car goes, "You can't smoke here." <laughs> you're in the desert <laughs> and that was quite funny and then when he goes inside the prison and, and I, don't, I, I found this funny but like the um, all the guys he's put away are going like I'm going to get you I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to well I, I, I can't think of anything right now I did, and then one of them, I did think one of them of says I did have something written down <laughs> yeah I did have something written down but, but it doesn't really it's not really the same if you just read it is it and I thought that was really funny that was a bit kind of metery comedy which I found really enjoyable yeah, exactly. Okay, so I think again, there was a, there was a scene when so, it, so it's not until about sort of twenty minutes into the film, or maybe a bit further, that the the dad being the spy is revealed. Yeah, and there's a they've had their first sort of actual action sequence where he's had to see the dad shoot someone. Yes, or, or put him in that. He puts him. He, he, he does a Fargo. He's kind of put him in yeah, like yeah. a meat grinder slash wood chipper thing. And they're driving away because they know they're in danger. 
And there's some quite just sort of funny dialogue between the two where he's trying to estimate how many he's killed. Yes. He's like, so, so, Dad, how many he's killed? Is it hundreds, under a thousand, two or three a month? And the son says something like, oh, well, if you're going to spread it out or something. Yeah. And it's just, I think I, it had moments like that. But the whole interesting thing it raised for me is that, like, it was just really interesting watching a comedy where you sort of, you know, because comedy is so much down to timing and it's just like, you kind of think, you know, I don't know if this is funny. I don't know if they're doing a good job because of the language barrier. I know, you know. but there was a certain amount of physical comedy that was yeah. great. Like, it's it's base, it's, but I haven't seen it before. They ended up, he ends up fighting this guy in the bathroom with his dildo versus the dude's toilet brush. <laughs> I've forgotten that bit, yeah. <laughs> Which was quite yeah. funny. It's like, he pulls out the dildo and you're a bit like, okay, I've seen that. And when the guy just like pulls out a toilet brush to kind of, to have a go at him back at that, I thought that was quite funny. I kind of liked that sort of like two stupid objects thing. Yeah, um, so do I. I. I mean, I thought there was, uh, the, the, the thing that it draws comedy from is like, so there's this sort of father-son slight sort of, buddy movie their relationship thing yeah. which is kind of fun there's the whole the father being a spy the fact that he's old there's all that you know i'm too old for this stuff there's the spy although i got a bit i agree that wasn't actually that funny but there's the spy network you know being such low budget on you know every, all the shit cars yeah. and things. yeah the worst um, it's a constant thing isn't it and i think that's actually interesting because it's a very much like post the devaluation of the spanish economy thing because he's, they, they keep talking about how like the spy service has had its budget cut they're all paid nothing and there's that whole gag about them all being civil servants and them all getting poisoned coffee because they want to take a coffee break and it's just, it's very that's very post that sort of spanish yeah crash i think yeah but 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 then sorry I think you were going on to say then there's a massive chunk of physical comedy in there as well yeah yeah there there is and basically I just thought I, th- I at times it lost me and I and, a, and again I know I keep going on about comparing it but like it's a, you know Hot Fuzz yes the whole point of Hot Fuzz is that the action sequence goes on and it keeps going yeah. on kind of Hot thing. Fuzz has become my favorite of those movies oh me too I love yeah, it I I love it um but it just it, it it had that only I was it was wearing me down a bit yeah. towards the end yeah yeah but but I still thought. I don't know. It just retained something. It, 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 there's something and, about and I did, it. There's something quite charming about it. That yeah, I, I think the the gun up the cow's bum gag was a bit of a misfire. Yes. Oh God. Yes. I'd already erased that from my memory. <laughs> just, Thanks for giving me that back. Um, there was a great. What is I say? Have a great death when he does kill the. Um, don't say. Don't say. Just in case. Spoilers. The guy in the bathroom. Oh yeah. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's like the improvised guillotine. Is fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's something I've never seen before, and I loved, and I thought that was brilliant. Um, and I also quite like the, 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 the. There's one part of the finale that I don't want to reveal too much, but let's just say it's a cross between a bit of speed and a bit of crank. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. With the yes and the, yeah, I like um, that bit. And I love the fact that a large chunk of the story hinges on a nut allergy, which I think is quite funny. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, there's, there there are a couple of things that I found like. It does, this does suffer from one of the biggest plot holes I've seen in a long time, though. When, right at the beginning, his nemesis says, I'm going to kill you and your son. At a point where he could have just killed him. <laughs> He's got him completely incapacitated at his mercy. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to kill you and your son, just you wait. It's like, well, why, why, why don't you just kill him now? And then go mm. and find his son and kill him. Because that would be a lot easier. <laughs> Instead of... But maybe that was part of that. You know, maybe that was a sort of like jokey bond, like, you know, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Ha ha ha. And let you escape kind of way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then there's my, almost my favorite sequence in it. Cause I, when they go to the, um, the parents house, the parents of the his, truth serum scene, the truth serum scene. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, I've got a note to myself here. Ask Ben what he thought of the truth serum scene. <laughs> well, it was just, even funny was just before the truth serum scene. That is great. Actually, the aftermath of the truth ther- serum scene is even better when they turn up and he's kind of like, yes, they told me to tell you the police were around the building, but that's not true. <laughs> yeah. um, but, yeah. but before then, there's a bit where I had to rewind it because I was laughing so much. <laughs> it's it's just a little visual gag but when he talk, he's talking about his um his terrible childhood to his parents he's like you dressed us in the same clothes until we were 12 <laughs> and there's that shot there's a snapshot of the two of him and his sister at 12 both eating ice creams wearing the same clothes <laughs> that was so that just made me laugh that was a proper spit out laugh moment <laughs> this is a great big bunch of fun to watch I, you know, I enjoy I probably enjoyed watching this more than I enjoyed watching The Killer Elite to some respect because this was i think yours was i think yours was more fun than mine because after a yeah. while with the killer elite you're a bit like 
<sighs> Another twist. Whereas... Yeah, my one was fun. And I think all I would say with this one, because I knew these were the ch- films I chose, mm. the only thing that slightly spoiled my enjoyment of this one was because I was worrying all the time, thinking, this feels almost a bit too good for us, if you know what I mean, because we're trying to find... Yeah, but, I mean, who I picks a, a Spanish spy spoof? No, exactly. So, yeah. unless they've listened to this show, and now you should probably pick a Spanish spy spoof, because you're not going to see another one, and you probably haven't seen one already. So, yeah. just stick, and if you stick have, it on the board. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, basically, the interesting thing is that for the first time, I think this is the first time of our many episodes, we have got three recommends. Yeah, absolutely. This is three movies that I would say, well, I haven't seen yours, but for mine, both movies, I'd say, yeah, give them a watch. If you fancy something a bit gritty, then watch The Killer Elite. If you fancy something a bit flippant and fun, go and watch Spy Time. And if you fancy some kick-ass history and some propaganda, watch mine. (laughs) Three winners. Love it. Cool. Right, what are we watching next time? Well, next time, um, inspired by our... It's your turn to choose. Yes, inspired by our Spanish chums, I thought I would go for comedies, because we haven't done straight comedies yet. And um, narrowing that down, I think, you know, looking for some decent indie comedies. There's a whole mire of indie comedies. Some of them can be dreadful. Some of them can be fantastic, and hopefully we can find some fantastic ones. I mean, if the well's a bit dry, I'll I'll expand the the search parameters a bit more. But, yeah, I think we go for, for comedies awesomeness yeah and yeah if anyone has any movies that they've seen the title of that they don't really that they don't have time to watch that they'd rather we watch for them just tell them if they're rubbish or not please email in at wewatchanything at gmail.com and we will uh, see if we cannot incorporate them in some way awesomeness